Our sermon passage today comes from Hebrews chapter 12. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And the author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Spencer. Um, Before we pray this morning, I want to ask Dan to not break anything. Sorry. It was kind of a double whammy. We're struggling. (laughs) Um, Before we pray this morning, um, I want to ask you to join me in praying for some issues within our congregation. I have to be vague up here, but one of the convictions that we share here at Redeemer is that God accepts our Psalm 100, shout for joy, oh the the earth type worship, and he also joyfully accepts our Psalm 42, how long, oh Lord, worship as well. And within the last week in our church, I'm just going to share some things I know about, and then there's a whole host I don't even know about. We've had families pushed to the brink by addiction, We've had families longing for God to preserve life by hospital beds. We have families without jobs wondering where their next paycheck is going to come from. We have families debilitated by um, depression, debilitated by anxiety. We have families wondering how to make a really hard decision. We have families hurting. We have marriages struggling. And as I said, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But we believe that God cares about all of that. And we believe that he wants to help all of that. And we believe that the good news that Spencer just read for us is intended for all of that too. So let's together bring that before the Lord and and, and bring the struggles that we know are going on and ask him to be the Lord. Father and our God, we come to you now in the name of Jesus and we come to you in faith. We come to you on one level saying, where else can we go? But we also come to you knowing there's nowhere else we would rather go than to you. You're our good God. Our good God who's eager to help his people. Who's eager to pour out his grace and his mercy. Who's eager to to preserve his people. Who's eager to glorify his name. So Lord, on behalf of your people, we ask that you would work. Lord, if you could bring healing, if it would be your will, would you heal and prolong life? Lord, if it would be your will, would you free from addiction? If it would be your will, would you bring repentance and heal marriages? If it would be your will, would you calm our anxious souls and help us to rest in you? If it would be your will, would you lift our drooping, depressed heads and give us confidence in you, if it would be your will, would you heal our marriages? If it would be your will, would you prolong our days? If it would be your will, would you provide us with all we need uh, for this life and for godliness? If it would be your will, would you tear us away from our, our dependence upon the world and things of the world? If it would be your will, would you cause us to delight in Jesus in a way that would give us great joy? Lord, we need you to work in this way. 
So we come and we ask and we trust that you will. Now, Father, we pray from Hebrews 12 that you would speak your word to us in such a way that we would believe, we would hear, and we would be changed. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. If you're our guest today, thank you so much for being here. We are working our way through the book of Hebrews. This is how we preach here at Redeemer. And so um, today uh, we are we're just finished chapter 11. We're moving into chapter 12. And you guys can all be thankful that I only had Spencer read two verses instead of pretending that we were going to do the whole thing and making him read all 29 of them. So two verses today. Um, the author of Hebrews is writing to Christians to encourage them to pursue Jesus in hardship. The author of Hebrews is writing to Christians to encourage Christians to pursue Jesus in hardship, which means he's writing to all of us. And really, the massive takeaway from Hebrews is to not get stuck in the hardship, but to see the glory of Jesus through the clouds of hardship. And so to do that in this passage, he's going to use the analogy of a race. And so that's why I entitled this sermon, Time to Run. What he's going to say is that life for Jesus is a race. And we're called to endurance. Life for Jesus is a race. And we're called to endurance. Therefore, if you're in Christ, you're called to run. It's time to run. If you were to gaze closely at my physique, and I'm intentionally kind of hiding behind this lectern, you would notice that I don't run. I just don't do it. You talk about marathons, I cover my ears. You talk about your favorite running shoes, I go to another conversation. You talk about carb loading, I'm in for the loading, but not the running. I don't run. So I don't like this metaphor. So let's make a new one. Can we do that this morning? Our new metaphor... Oregon Trail. Who remembers the game? Oregon Trail. Whatever we are who are not quite millennials, we're just a little too old, this is our revolution. Oregon Trail. It wasn't even a black and white computer screen. It was a dark green, light green computer screen, right? That's right. Yeah, I'm your hero today. So Oregon Trail was a game that was pretty simple that was intended to mimic the, the, the gold and land rush that actually happened in the 1800s out to Oregon. And it always started in Independence, Missouri. Thank you, we got one nerd on the front row. And in Independence, Missouri, you had to buy all your supplies, get your wagon, get your ox, and ultimately you had to decide, are we going? Because once you crossed the river in Independence, you were all in. And you had to figure out how you were going to get to Oregon. So what this passage says is that if we're in Christ, we've already left independence. And I'm just telling you, I've been to independence. I've sat on one of those wagons. We took the little ride around town, and there was no way I'm going to Oregon on one of those. No way at all. But the reality is, is that if we're in Christ, we've already left independence. And there's a few different paths that we can take to get to Oregon, but Oregon is the goal. And what this passage says to us is that if we're in Christ, the Lord has different paths for us. 
But Jesus is the goal. And it would be the will of God that we would navigate this world and this difficult, hard life in a way that glorifies and exalts the provision and the salvation and the deliverance and the fatherly care that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross. This is what our lives are called to be. And a race in which we endure because Jesus is great and he's better than anything this world has to offer us. So there, there's your point. If you're in Christ, it would be the will of God that we would endure life with joy because Jesus is better than anything this world can offer us. That's the point. And this is what the author of Hebrews has wanted. Because way back in chapter 10, verse 39, he said, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve our souls. And all of chapter 11 was walking through the Bible trying to give biographical vision of what it looks like to be carried by God all the way to the end. Of what the people of faith look like all the way to the end. And now he says, I want this for you also. So if you're a student of Greek and you like to find main verbs and nerd out on verb tense, then what you would find out, I'm told, is that the main point, the main verb shouting in bold in verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews is this. Let us run with endurance. The goal of the passage is for the people of God to be committed to run to Jesus with endurance no matter the hardship. That's what he wants. It's, it's the race. We're called to the race. So we could say it's time to run. Or we could say it's time to, to leave independence and get to Oregon. But either way, we are called to go because Jesus is calling us. And it's better to be with Jesus than have all the provision of the world and not have Him. First point, preparing to run. Or we might say preparing for Oregon. Preparing to run. As you can see, I'm changing my metaphor as we go here, so let's just enjoy it. But if we're going to prepare for the race that we're called to run, there are four things we need to do. There are four things we need to do, and this passage gives them to us. Number one, we need to believe that, right, that life is a race. We need to believe that life is a race. A race. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Set before us. Think of you're at a dinner party and the host sets the meal before you. At that moment, you're called to eat the meal that's set before you. Right? So what's this saying? Jesus has set the race before us. He put it there. He picked it. It's for His glory. It's for our good. But He put it there. And so this passage is shouting at us to recognize that life with Christ and life for Christ is a race that calls for endurance. It is not intended to be easy. And your race might look a bit different than my race, which might look a bit different than someone else's race, which might look a bit different than a race for Christians in, say, North Africa. But either way, 
God has set the race before them, and the purpose of the race is to get them to be with Jesus forever. The purpose of the race is to purge off our love of this world, to purge off our sin, to purge off our rebellion, and to cause us to love Christ more. And I feel like so many of us, and I am at the forefront here, spend our days looking for a better race. We spend our days looking for a better path. We spend our days saying, why can't I have his path or her path or that path? I think the first step forward to seeing Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 shape our lives is to say, God gave me this path. And because he gave it to me by faith, looking to Jesus, I'm going to walk it. I'm going to stop looking for a different I know the hardship on your paths. We just prayed about those hardships. The calling is to recognize that God knows them as well, and God actually saw fit to give them to you as a means to the end of making your life more joyful in Jesus. If we want to prepare for the race, we need to believe that God has given us the path that we're on for His glory and our good. Number two, if we're going to prepare for the race, there are some things we need to remove. And it's going to tell us to first remove sin, and second, to remove all the other weights. Now think about it this way. There's a big circle. The weights. And that just means weight. That means heavy things that, that, that prevent one from racing well. So there's a big circle, the weights. And then inside that big circle, there's another circle, sin. So sin is part of the big circle, but it's not all of the big circle. You guys with me? I don't have a whiteboard up here. I don't really do slides like that. So you guys with me? So, so we need to remove all the weights, but particularly we need to remove our sin. So hear this, Christian. Sin hinders your walk with Jesus. Sin hinders your walk through this life. Also hear me. He's writing to Christians. He's not just shouting out at the world, get rid of your sin. He's saying to us, your sin is a hindrance. So I'm just going to be personal. Can I be personal? In my life, anger is a huge struggle. And so what this passage, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Here's what it's saying. Yes, ultimately, anger in my life steals, and dis- steals glory from God. Anger in my life dishonors His name. Anger in my life causes interpersonal brokenness. But it's also saying anger in my life hurts me. It hurts me. All four of those things can be biblical and true at the same time. All four of them can. And so what this passage is saying, Christian, Jesus went to the cross for your anger. Jesus died for your anger. 
You will not face eternal condemnation for your anger if you're in Christ, but your anger hinders your fellowship with the Father, it hinders your relationship with others, and it hinders you. Recognize that your sin is a burden, and to lay down your sin in repentance and in obedience is a gift that produces freedom. I think it's incumbent upon the church to call Christians to lay aside our sin. Jesus died that we might be freed from it. And if you want to take a step toward laying aside the sin which would hinder you, you can do this. You can pray, Lord, show me my sin. And then when He shows it to you, confess it with your mouth to God and to others. I just think there's something very Powerful. Not as like some weird, hokey, name it and claim it, speak it into existence. I'm not talking about that mess. But I'm just saying there's something powerful about speaking your conviction. Lord, I know that I am an angry person. Wife, I know. Suzanne, I know that I'm an angry person. I've been angry toward you. Kids, like, like speaking it is a form of admitting and acknowledging is shining light on it. And I think speaking of what we know to be true is a way that the Lord begins to deliver us. I mean, we learn this from the very theologically astute movie, Liar, Liar. You know, Jim Carrey, the theologian, right? But kind of the whole theme of the movie, and I really wish that all tensions in life could be reconciled in 120 minutes, right? But the tension of the movie, he's a terrible father, he's a terrible person, he's making a train wreck of his life, he's lost his marriage, he's losing his kids, he misses his son's birthday, and the movie moves him to this point because... The kid made a wish that he couldn't lie for a day or something crazy like that. But anyway, the movie moves to the point where Jim Carrey says on the phone to his ex-wife, I'm a bad father. And then it's like he didn't hear what he said, so he says it again, I'm a bad father. And then he says it a third time, kind of trying to convince himself, I'm a bad father, to which she says, yeah, I know, that's the problem. And then the rest of the movie is like this quick 30-minute reconciliation to all the wrongs that have been done, but it all started with him acknowledging out loud with no ifs, ands, or buts, I'm a bad father. And Christians, I think we need to understand that God knows our sin. God sent his son to die for our sin. God loves us in spite of our sin. And we can stop pretending that we're not sinful. We need to name our sin. We need to confess it so that we can lay it aside. This passage says one of the key things to preparing for the race is to lay aside your sin. So whatever it is, lay it aside. Articulate it and confess it. Third, if we want to prepare to run, we must remove the other weights. Remember I said there's the big circle weights, there's the little circle sin. I think the little circle is most of the big circle. But what could be some of the other weights? Anything that prevents us from looking to Jesus. Our sin prevents us from looking to Jesus. Lay it aside. But you know what? Sins committed against us can prevent us from looking to Jesus too. Those things can be real. They need to be, there needs to be genuine healing.
healing, but sins committed against us don't have to define us. We can set those aside and not let them be weights that present us, prevent us from running to Jesus. Our diagnoses, they can prevent us from running to Jesus. I believe it's perfectly good and biblical and right for Christians to be diagnosed with things like anxiety and depression, to see counselors about it and even take medication for it in the right sense. And none of that means we're sinful and none of that means we need to repent of our anxiety or our depression, but those diagnoses don't have to define us. They don't have to prevent us from running to Jesus. Sins committed in the past that we can't forgive ourselves for, those are weights that prevent us from running to Jesus, but Jesus died to take all of that away. So anything that weighs you down and hinders you from running after Jesus, this passage says, lay it aside. If we want to run the race forth, we will remember the cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of of witnesses. Now hear this clearly, okay? In my office, I have about six commentaries on the book of Hebrews. I try to keep up in them weekly. There are about 150 to 300 pages of those commentaries devoted to what does it mean that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I, I, I can't believe that. So let me cut through all of it for you, okay? If it's a race... I don't think the cloud of witnesses are like mom and dad at the start line saying, come on, Jamie, you can do it. I think they're at the end. They've already finished saying, come on, Jamie, you can finish too. If it's Oregon Trail, I don't think they're there in Independence, Missouri saying, come on, good luck, blessings, wish you well to Oregon. I think they're in Oregon saying, we made it and you can make it too. And frankly, I think the witnesses are like our grandparents. You know our grandparents, they walked uphill to school both ways in the snow, right? Their lives were inherently harder than ours, and they want us to never forget that. I think the witnesses are like that a little bit too. Hey, we made it to Oregon in wagons with oxen. You get to go in a car and stay in hotels and eat in restaurants. Why? Well, Hebrews 11 tells us, we know the Savior more clearly. We know His name is Jesus. We know the purposes of God more clearly. We know how we fit into God's story far more clearly than they did. And they made it carried by God all the way to the end. And I think what we're called to remember is that if Abraham and Sarah got carried by faith all the way to the end, then we can be carried by faith all the way to the end as well. So this is all preparatory. Life is a race. Recognize that the path you're on is the one God has given you. Remove sin, remove other weights, and remember the cloud of witnesses. Now you're ready for the race. How do we run the race? By looking to Jesus. So that's the second point, looking to Jesus. How do we run the race? We run the race by looking to Jesus. Well, okay, what does that mean? What's well, a metaphor? Jesus is at the end. He's already there. He, he was 
the one who set out the race. He's the one who founded the race. He's the one who finished the race in such a way that everyone else can as well. He's the one who reigns over everything around the race. And he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And he will carry us all the way to the end. So we run the race in Christ. So the passage says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So hear this, Jesus is the founder of our faith, the finalizer of our faith, and the ruler over the world. Jesus is the founder of our faith. He founded it. It was in him. By his life, by his death, by his resurrection. Not only is he the founder of our faith, he's the perfecter of it. Our faith is complete in Christ. He's done everything that needs to be done so that we can be the children of God forever. It is finished in him. And he rules over the world. He rules over everything. There is not a piece of the world where he is not the sovereign in control over it. So we get to run the race looking to Jesus. We get to run the race looking to Him. He died for us. He redeemed us. He restored us. He sent His Spirit for us. He's coming back for us. He's calling us home. He gives us peace. He gives us endurance. He's helping us every step of the way. We get to run looking to Him. And there's nothing between here and there that He can't supersede and rule over. That's what we get. We get Christ with us every step of the way. So, we can't look to Jesus and self-reliance at the same time. We cannot look to Jesus and self-reliance at the same time. We cannot look to Jesus and religious performance at the same time. We can't look to Jesus and love this world too much at the same time. So Jesus makes our faith sure and Jesus models for us such endurance. Look closely at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So hear that clearly. Jesus is the founder and the perfecter and the ruler because He finished the race. And when he finished it, he finished it for himself and for us. But in finishing it, he finished because he knew that what was at the end was better than anything here and now. Jesus knew that the eternal glory of his kingdom and his people purchased by his blood was better than an earthly kingdom that would fade away. And so for the joy set before him, he endured which means this, we look to in Jesus so that we can endure. In essence, we endure by believing that in Christ is a joy greater than this world can ever offer us. So the calling for us is to recognize that in Christ, there's a joy better than this world could ever offer us. Let me paint a picture for you. What if you woke up tomorrow morning and there were no longer any signs of physical decay in your body? None. Gone. And then you got out of bed to an email 
that told you that your house, completely paid for. Car, completely paid for. Debts, completely eradicated. 401k, fully funded forever. And then you rolled over to tell your, your spouse the good news, and the first thing they said was, good morning, I wanted to tell you that every fight we've ever had, it was all my fault, and, um, and, and I'm the problem in our relationship, and, and you're awesome, and I vow to never mess up again. Then you look at the door and your kids come coming around the corner and they've made you breakfast and they're like, Daddy, Mommy, we're so thankful for all the ways that you love us and serve us and pour out your, your, your lavish mercy upon us and sacrifice your happiness for our happiness. And we promise that we'll never disobey or cause you any hardship again. And we're going to get jobs and, and pay for all of our extracurricular activities. <laughs> And so you're like, man, maybe I should check my email again. And so you check it again, and you got an email from your boss, and it says, you know what, I've resigned, and, and you're in charge now. I think you have a better vision for this company than I ever could have. And this day just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Here's my question. If that was your Monday, would you still believe that Jesus is better? I'm not sure that I would. And I'm not sure that you would. And that tells me that we love all the good stuff on the journey far more than we love the Savior who carries us on the journey. And this says the endurance, it comes from looking to Jesus. I'm going to tell you one more. I'm going to be personal again, if that's okay. And by the way, I, I don't need money, but I'm going to tell you this story anyway, okay? So uh, this weekend... We went to my, uh, my parents' house in West Tennessee, small town. And um, Friday night while we were out at dinner, uh, my wife called me and she said, um, hey, all the warning lights in the van just came on at once. That's not good, where are you? Well, I'm at your parents' house. Great, just park it, go inside, we'll deal with it. So I go in, small West Tennessee town, I find of, of the six mechanics there, only one, according to Google, is open on Saturday. So we get up, we jump the car off, we have our one good start, and we drive straight to the one mechanic who's supposed to be open. I pull right in front of the front door, which is on a little bit of a downslope, and I go and I yank the door to find that they're closed. They're not really open on Saturday. So I go get back in my van, put it in reverse. Reverse doesn't work anymore. So every time I push reverse, the van's just rolling closer and closer to the front door, about to go through it. So we try to push it out. Not going to happen. So I take my key, write the gentleman a note, drop it in the box. I'll call you on Monday. We borrow a car. We come home to find that a large sum of my wife's business inventory that was supposed to be sitting on our front porch, not there, been taken. So we go in. In very self-reliant ways, we try to fix all of our problems. And then this morning... I'm laying in bed, because, you know, I do the sermon a few minutes before y'all do, right? I'm laying in bed, and I'm praying about Hebrews 12. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you're good. You, you're, you're in control. You will deliver us from these hardships. I trust you. Help us. Like, like all the stuff that we're supposed to pray based on Hebrews 12. 
Me and the Lord, we're having a moment of faith. My faith. A moment of joy. So I get up and I take a shower and I go get in my truck to come to church to preach Hebrews 12 to you. It won't start. So we try again. It won't start. So we try again. It won't start. So me and my son, we're walking to church about 7.45 this morning. And joy, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Here's what the Lord's shouting at me, and I hope, I hope you'll hear. What Hebrews 12 is calling me to believe today is that me spending this afternoon in AutoZone and tomorrow morning on the phone with UPS and Tuesday morning going back to West Tennessee to get my van and pay all my bills, that that path with Jesus is better than having all those things go away and me just navigate this world in my own strength. And perhaps the Lord knows that I need all those things to look to Jesus. And I believe that that's what he's calling us to as well. People of God, look to Jesus. People of God, endure it for his glory. People of God, walk with him because that's why he came. Jesus makes our faith sure and he models such endurance. Christians, I believe this is what God wants for us. He wants us to get in the race and run to him by faith. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, don't, don't tune this out. Because I think life without Jesus has just as much hardship as life with Jesus. It's just you don't have Jesus. You don't have a perseverer, a carer, a benevolent Savior who will carry you every step away. So the invitation to Christianity is not to a happy, easy life. It's not to your best life now. The invitation is to have Jesus with you every step of the way. Come to Him. So our Father and our God, pray to you in Jesus' name that you'd work for your people. I pray that you would give us a vision of walking with you and to you and for you that will carry us through all things. And I pray you would tear down every sin and every weight and every hindrance on that journey from us, no matter how painful that might be. Do your work in us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation, at this time, as we do each week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We take the bread and we take the cup, as Jesus has called us to do, to remind ourselves and declare to one another, if we have Christ, we have everything. And we believe that by faith, we have Christ. So here at Redeemer Church, if you're a Christian, that is, if you've placed faith in Jesus for salvation and made that known to the church, we would invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here. We'd ask that you let the bread and the cup pass, not so much but so you would feel left out, but so you would be drawn to this question. Can I have Jesus? Can I repent and believe? And the answer is yes. Be drawn to the Lord today.
So some men are going to come. They're going to pass out the bread and the cup. We're going to sing together. And I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take the elements together.